Nadir, that uh, Brent crude oil price creeping ever closer to the $70 mark. Let's just talk about that for a moment. Yeah, look, Sakina, I mean, obviously that isn't positive, that isn't good news, uh, you know, for 95% of world consumers. It's almost like a tax at 95% of the world or the benefits accruing probably, well, only to oil producers, um, you know, oil producing nations predominantly in the Middle East and, uh, you know, scattered around, everywhere else around the world. Ironically, also to the U.S. as they obviously uh, ramp up shale production within the economy and, uh, you know, they benefit from uh, higher oil prices. But Sakina, what's really been driving it is that uh, you know, we, we're starting to see a, a, a global coordinated growth cycle, um, you know, across the world starting to contribute to increased demand for the commodity. And now what that's, what's happened is that we've seen stockpiles continuously reduce. We see data of stockpiles uh, declining for the third month in a row uh, coming out just the other day. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, OPEC members are remaining very, very disciplined in terms of maintaining uh, their, their, their cuts to production, which they they promised to do, and we've seen that uh, you know there, there obviously is compliance with that, which uh, OPEC had battled with previously. You know where they agree to uh, members cutting certain amounts at the meeting, and then subsequent to that, there's cheating by the members. Uh, you know in order to increase production and increase their market share of, of, of the oil markets. Um, you know as they're desperate for revenues uh, because they, their economies are so dependent on oil. But what we've seen more recently is that um, you know these OPEC producers have started becoming less by and, um, you know, they focus on the long-term uh, sustainability of the oil price and have continued to cut production, um, you know, led by Saudi Arabia, who's cut significant production on a daily basis, something like 11 million barrels a day. Um, you know, so that's obviously starting to pay fruits for them. Um, you know, they're starting to see the reaction of the oil price, uh, you know, driven by two factors, really, because a significantly reduced supply, you know, um, starting to bring that demand and supply uh, the equation more in balance, and we're seeing the stockpiles reducing. But we're also seeing, uh, you know, significantly more demand as the world continues to uh, go along in its coordinated growth cycle. You know, we see uh, growth numbers coming out of the U.S. remain very stellar. Europe is on an economic recovery. Uh, Japan starting to, in fact, see a better economic growth as they saw their seventh consecutive quarter of economic growth um, in the third quarter last year. So, Sakina. So I think, uh, you know, the global coordinated growth it's a cycle that we've seen certainly contributing to demand and OPEC members maintaining compliance with cuts um, is obviously what's, what's pushed the price upwards. In terms of South African consumers, we saw a petrol price cut at the beginning of this month. That was predominantly because of the significantly stronger rand, um, you know, something like 13% stronger uh, or 12% stronger, uh, you know, ever since the beginning of November, which is obviously contributing to a lower... Uh, a lower a rand or a, dollar, a rand oil price, but uh, you know I think this latest surge in the oil price is obviously concerning. Um, you know, in any and we haven't really seen significant rand strength since the end of uh, December. So we could possibly see a, a petrol price increase next month. Um, you know, should we not see any rand strength, and should uh, the oil continue along this uh, bullish trend that we're seeing it at, just under seventy dollars a barrel? Uh, but I think Sakina, there is going to be a natural cap as to how high oil 
prices can go because, um, you know, the U.S. is obviously not a member of OPEC. And uh, if oil prices continue to remain at these levels, there's a lot of shale projects within the U.S. which become highly profitable, which are not profitable at lower oil prices. That brings those producers back online. That naturally increases supply. Um, and we could see the oil price self-correct. Um, you know, so I don't think it's going to be an oil price that gets to sort of $90 a barrel, um, you know, because of, because of that fact of increasing supply. Uh, but for the time being, Sakina, obviously this sort of 20 25% increase in the oil price from, uh, you know, sort of $50 a barrel level uh, certainly isn't helpful for, 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 for inflation um, in South Africa at least. And then, Nadir, let's also just uh, talk about U.S. jobs numbers for December. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's something we wanted to talk about yesterday, but unfortunately didn't get to. So just talk us through that. Yeah, Sakina, look, I mean, it's, it's, we talk about the global coordinated growth uh, cycle, and uh, we just chatted about it. And I think it's really being led out of the U.S. You know, we're seeing, again, uh, you know, although disappointing on the top line number, um, with the U.S. economy adding 144,000 jobs um, in December, where the market is looking for a number closer to around about 180,000 jobs, I think that unemployment rate is, is, is something which is of critical importance, you know, and it's, uh, it stayed at 4.1%. That's pretty much, that's more than a one-decade low uh, for the U.S. unemployment rate, and people talking about the unemployment rate now, it's uh, now at a structural low, meaning that, uh, you know, it's very unlikely that it's going to get much lower than this, um, and, and the U.S. economy continues to move from strength to strength. You know, we're talking about 3% growth in the third quarter, that growth number being revised upwards, um, you know, we're talking about uh, an, an, an economy which is now able to stand on its own two feet, and uh, you know the, the narrative at the central bank certainly is shifting towards not only or tapering off its balance sheet and uh, reducing its QE program, but also increasing interest rates. You know, and I think there's um, increased pressure from a number of members of the Federal Open Market Committee to um, increase interest rates at a more rapid pace than what they've already been doing, and uh, you know, and, and we'll certainly hear more about that at the next FOMC meeting. I suppose the one thing that has been keeping uh, the Federal Reserve back has been uh, the, the, the lack of inflation within the U.S. economy. Um, you know, we've obviously seen wage inflation has been fairly low given the amount of jobs that they've been adding and given the unemployment rate at a structural low. Um, we've actually seen uh, wage inflation hasn't come through that aggressively. You know, where we saw wage inflation 2.5% year on year in December. Um, obviously, the headline inflation number uh, getting closer and closer to 2%, marginally below 2%. Um, and, you know, what the Federal Reserve is going to be hoping for is that that wage, escal- that wage inflation number is going to start escalating over the coming months, um, you know, because that will translate into very robust consumption within the U.S. economy and will provide the final piece of the puzzle um, to increasing interest rates and to washing out a lot of adverse behavior which has happened over the course of the last decade from having interest rates at zero. You know, there's been a lot of poor capital allocation decisions which have happened purely because interest rates are so low, and that's obviously not sustainable, could create a number of financial bubbles, um, and, 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 you know, the Federal Reserve is quite keen to wash out that kind of behavior by increasing interest rates. So, Sitkina, the labor market in the U.S. certainly playing ball, um, and, you know, we'll wait and see what the January report, uh, job number uh, says, but uh, I think moving forward, it's going to be the wage inflation number, which is going to be just as critical as the top-line number of jobs being added, uh, given unemployment rates at 
the structural loans. And then Eskom Nadir, uh, just how serious is the debt problem at Eskom? Yeah, Sakina, I mean, this has become a chronic problem. You know, there's obviously reports going around that ESCOM is about to run out of cash, and we've seen uh, ESCOM needing a number of emergency capital injections over the course of the last two years. Um, you know, so some of them that just come to mind is that governments had to sell their stake in, uh, had to sell their stake in Vodacom uh, to give uh, ESCOM a capital injection. Um, you know, Malusi Gigaba obviously was approached to give ESCOM a further capital injection last year. Um, you know, and you hear when you yeah, the stories of, you know, ESCOM really reaching a cash crunch and battling to, uh, you know, pay salaries, you know, that, that is obviously very concerning. You know, I think uh, if you look at the state of finances there, uh, obviously last year we had the whole, um, you know, debacle where ESCOM had to delay the release of their financial results, um, you know, because obviously there was talk that, uh, you know, the, the, the debt is escalating. <coughs> and actually what was going to happen was that uh, they were going to breach certain debt covenants and the debt uh, that they had from international banks would become callable and quite frankly they didn't have the cash to repay those bonds had they become callable. So if we look at the extent of it, Sakina, they have about a facility of about 300 billion or just about 300 billion rand, um, you know, of, of, of uh, government-backed debt or, or, or contingent liabilities from the state that they can draw down on um, and they've drawn down on in excess of 230 billion rand of that, two, of that 300 billion rand, um, you know, from 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 uh, the, the contingent liabilities. Now, you know, you may think that okay, well, they still have about 70 billion rand to go. But the bottom line is that government itself is not in a position to extend further credit to the ailing state uh, to the ailing uh, utility company. And the reason for that is that um, you know, should uh, that 200 billion should uh, investors call on that 230 billion rand, meaning that they demand payment right now, government also simply is walking a very tight rope in order to to to, to repay that debt, um, you know, Sakina. So I think ESCOM is really running out of lines of credit, uh, you know, where they, can, where they can get credit from. There's also reports earlier this week that uh, there's certain debts that they have with the World Bank, which has become callable because of breaching certain debt covenants. So, Sakina, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's now become, it, it will really bring the economy to a grinding halt, as we saw in 2007 when we got rolling blackouts. Um, should, we, should, should we go that route again? So, Sakina, I, I really think it's of critical importance that, uh, you know, there's, there's a strong board installed at ESCOM, um, you know, that they sort out their governance issues and that they start operating more efficiently and start generating actual, actual surplus cash um, so they can continue to operate without needing to, to, to continue to draw down on these debt liabilities. And I think that's going to be something critical in 2018 if the South African economy is really to realize its potential over and above getting business confidence going, um, that's really going to be something of critical importance in order to kickstart the South African economy once again.